sending Jesus to be the light. Lord, not just a star that shone one day to show or for a while to show that the Christ had been born, but Father, continuing to be the light in the darkness that we need so desperately. Father, thank you for the reminder of that through song today, of us being reminded of how good you are and how good you've been to us. Father, the picture that we've already seen of baptism and new life and what we have only because of Christ. Lord, I pray today that as we continue to look at your word, to spend time worshiping you together, Father, that our hearts would be full because of how good you've been to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Uh, as we continue to look at our, our Christmas series, Matthew chapter 2 is a text that uh, the part of it we're going to look at today, we're picking up where we left off as we saw the visit of the Magi, the wise men last week. But, but as we look today, it's, a, it's one of those texts where we're going to see a couple of different prophecies. Matthew's going to give us a few different prophecies. He's going to tell us that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. And, and I know for some of you, that's very exciting. You really enjoy that. For some of you, you feel like that's maybe that's not quite my thing. But I truly and honestly believe that if you will pay attention to what we'll see today, you will be blessed and you will, you will enjoy and celebrate Christmas in a different light. I have been greatly blessed. I have greatly enjoyed studying and preparing this this week. This is one of those texts that as I came to it and began to read it, what I initially had in my mind and what the Lord has shown me in this and prepared my heart to understand from then until now is completely different than what I expected this text was going to show us. And so I'm thankful to be able to share it with you. I want us to start today. We're going to look in Matthew chapter 2 at verses 13 through 23. And this is one where I want us to just go ahead and read all of these together. A cohesive unit. It reads as if it's a narrative piece of text. So I want us to read that together and then we'll look at this. It's going to begin here in the first sentence. It's going to give us a they. The they are the wise men. So it's talking about as the wise men had come to see Jesus and then they leave. And so that's what we're picking up in verse 13. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. 
So here we see a, a lengthy piece of text, and, and in most of your translations, they probably give that three different headings. Of course, I remind uh, sometimes I like to remind us that, that those headings weren't put there by Matthew. Those weren't original. Those are just for our purposes. This is written as one piece of Scripture. This is Matthew giving to us, and we've already seen him doing this. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've already seen Matthew giving us these proofs that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Matthew is laying out for. He's laying out a very strong argument that Jesus was not just another baby that was born, but that he is truly the chosen Savior who has come from heaven. And so we've already seen that in a couple of different ways. And then here we see he gives us three more prophecies that he's saying that Jesus' birth or that the early parts of Jesus' life have fulfilled. So the wise men, they see the star and they come and they bow down and they worship Jesus and they give him these lavish gifts and then they leave. And then we see here that when they leave, they're given, before they left, they were given a dream that told them, do not go back to Herod because Herod wanted to kill Jesus. So when they leave, an angel comes and, and shows Joseph in a dream something. He says that, that you need to leave here. You need to leave Bethlehem and you need to go to Egypt. You need to go to another country. And we see that it's a big deal what Herod's about to do for lots of reasons. But in order to escape it, they travel over 150 miles into another country to keep this baby, to keep Jesus safe. And, and then he tells us, Matthew, there in verse 15, that this took place in order to fulfill what the prophet, the prophet Hosea had said, out of Egypt. I called my son. So that's prophesied over a thousand years before this takes place. This takes place, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, what's going on there. But then he, he continues, Matthew telling us, and so he gives us another prophecy that's fulfilled. And this prophecy is fulfilled because of the events around Jesus' life. Herod is mad. And he, he understands that these wise men are not coming back and they're not going to tell him, oh, we saw the baby and this is his address and this is who his parents are. That's what he wanted so that he could go and have that individual child killed. But it's not happening. And when he realizes that, he's so mad that he gives a decree that all of the children in Bethlehem and all of the surrounding region should be killed if they're two years old or under, all the male children. And it's terrible and it's horrible but you have to understand that this is not out of character for Herod. These sort of things happened during his tenure. He was the type of person that did horrendous acts like this. There's no excuse for it, but that's what he does. He goes and he has the children killed. And so, of course, there's weeping, right? There's crying. You imagine the families who are devastated because uh, by decree of the king, these armed men have come in and killed their one-year-old or one-and-a-half-year-old or six-month-old baby boys and so there's weeping and there's loud crying and he tells us in verse 18 that, that this is fulfilling a prophecy that jeremiah that this has understood that this was going to happen that this is part of what god knew before it ever happened was going to happen and so by jeremiah the prophet he had said that a voice was heard in rama weeping and loud lamentation rachel weeping for her children she refused to be comforted because they are no more. And so we see here that God has known that all these things were going to happen. That God has prophesied that he has told through, the, through men's mouth that these things would come about and that all of these things would be signs to tell us 
about Jesus, about the Messiah, about the Savior. And then there's one more in verses 19 through 23. Uh, Herod dies, and so an angel shows up in another dream to Joseph and tells him the coast is clear, and he comes back, but is told, don't go to Bethlehem where you had been, but go to Galilee, to an area of Galilee called Nazareth. And that is another fulfillment of a prophecy that says that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. And so we see that Matthew is laying out, again, this, this argument. He's building this case that Jesus' birth is fulfilling all of the things that the Old Testament said would happen when the Messiah came. And so point one this morning is this. Jesus' birth and life prove he is the Messiah. Jesus' birth, we've already seen that the last few weeks. Jesus' birth and the way that it happened and the things surrounding it prove that he's the Messiah. But now we see that it goes beyond just his birth, not just his birth, but into the first few years of his life. We see that his life is proving as well that he is the Messiah, that he goes to Egypt and the prophecies fulfilled, that he would call his son out of Egypt, right? And that there's this weeping around the events of his birth and that he would be called a Nazarene. And so Matthew, at this point, has laid out for us overwhelming evidence unless you have just closed your heart and mind, unless you just simply say, I do not want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah that Jesus is the chosen one. If you are honestly listening to these things, I think that it's hard, if not impossible, for you to believe that Jesus is not the chosen Messiah because we've seen things that have been prophesied some point for hundreds of years, some point for thousands of years. They said these things will happen, and when they happen, it will be a sign to you that that child is special. We see it in his lineage going all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Whenever Abram was called, before his name was even changed to Abraham, we see that that, that ancestry was promised that it would be fulfilled by this king. And it goes through Abraham, and it goes through David, and it goes all the way down. Those prophecies are fulfilled by Jesus' lineage and Jesus' ancestry. And the fact that we're told that that the one that was coming would be God himself. And we're told, as Brother Shane read for us earlier, as we'll look at next week, that this child, Jesus, is not just any child, but he is Emmanuel. He is God that has come to be with us. There was the promise or the prophecy that the child that would be born, the Messiah, would be born of a virgin. And we see that that takes place here. We see the supernatural event of the star taking place to lead the wise men. right? We see that he was born in Bethlehem, just as it said that he would be born in Bethlehem. We see the response of the Magi as they lay down. High-ranking diplomats from another nation laying down at the feet of a child and worshiping him is not something that took place just every day. And we see again and again and again, Matthew said this thing that God said would happen, happened. This thing that God said would happen, happened. This thing over and over and over. And here he says, and it wasn't just the birth. It continues after that, right? That he would be called out of Egypt. It continues, and if you read through the rest of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you will see is it doesn't stop here either. It goes through all of Jesus' life. Throughout all of his life, he is fulfilling prophecy. He is fulfilling things that have been said. This will happen when the Messiah comes. 
And so it's just irrefutable in my mind, the proof that Matthew lays out here, things that have been promised that couldn't have happened by just happenstance, things that had been planned and prepared and seen ahead of time that God had given to us and said, when you see these things, you will know. And now Matthew says, brothers and sisters, we have seen these things. So we must know, we must be convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And I believe that's the main point that we see here. That's what Matthew's laying out in all of chapters 1 and 2, is that Jesus is not just another child. That he is not just another man, but he is the man. That he is God who has lived forever, come in human flesh, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. That he is Emmanuel that has come to offer us freedom from all of the things that plague us because of our sins. That's who Jesus is. That's what this is. And Matthew is offering us this proof time and time again. And I pray that our hearts ring and resonate with excitement because we say, it's true. It is true. And there are reasons to believe. Uh, I heard a, a man that many of you have listened to before, that many of you know, he's a very smart man, a great pastor, uh, John Piper. One time I heard him asked, he said, John Piper, why is it that you first came to believe that the Bible is true and that Jesus is who he says he is? You know what he said? You'd think that maybe he said, well, because of all these prophecies that were filled up. He said, because mama said so. That's what my mama said. My mama said the Bible is true, so I believe the Bible is true. And mama said that Jesus was who he said he was, so I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. But that's why he first believed. But then he says, as he studied... And as he looked, he was reminded again. And so I pray this morning that if you're here and you've always believed because you grew up in a Baptist church and you went to vacation Bible school and that's why you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Why do you celebrate Christmas? Because we always celebrate Christmas. Well, I pray this year it's different. I pray this year you celebrate Christmas because you have seen irrefutable evidence that Jesus is God who left heaven and came to earth to save you from the life that you were living without him. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we're here. That's why we sing these songs. But Matthew does something else here. And I want to show you this. It's, it's almost a sub-point. It's somewhat application. Take it how you want. But this is what I want you to see in this. Because if you just read the, the simple wording here, that it says that Jesus fulfills these prophecies, as Matthew says for us, and you take that, all right, he fulfilled these prophecies, and you go on, it's one thing. And it's understandable, and it's helpful, but when you look at the prophecies themselves, to see how he fulfilled them, to me, this is where this week it became like I was watching a black and white TV show, and all of a sudden it was given color. right? Or I was watching a silent movie, and all of a sudden there was music and words. Because when you see how Jesus fulfills these prophecies, it's something altogether beautiful so look back in verse 15 matthew 2 15 it's talking about he, he is told that they should go to egypt and it says in the second part of that verse this was to fulfill what the lord had spoken by the prophet out of egypt i called my son now that when he says the prophet i told you that's hosea so the prophet hosea he's quoting matthew here from hosea 11 1 this is what hosea 11 1 says when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. 
Now, it's interesting. Whenever you read it in Hosea, you say, well, that's not talking about the Messiah at all. And it's not. It's not talking about the Messiah. It's not looking forward to when the Messiah comes. It's actually looking back. But what it's looking back at, Matthew is telling us, is something that we see here as well. So what's it looking whenever it says, Israel was a child, and I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Well, it's looking back to the Exodus. I think most of us are probably familiar with the Exodus, right? The, the people of God, the nation of Israel, they have gone to Egypt and they grow to be a large and strong nation. And so Egypt is not real happy about this. And they want to make sure that they keep these people oppressed. So they put them in slavery and just terrible conditions. And they treat them horribly all the way to the point that they're killing they're saying kill any of the male children that are born because we think these people are going to be too strong and they might overtake us. And so God looks at his people in Egypt and he sees their suffering and he sees their pain and he sees what they're going through and he has mercy on them. And so he sends Moses and he sends the plagues and he does these things to remove his people from Egypt, to deliver them from slavery, to make them free. And so that is something that I believe that when you talk about somebody coming out of Egypt, that any Jewish person that you meet, I believe that any Jewish person that you meet, if you talk about somebody coming out of Egypt, they will immediately think of the Exodus. Because it was such a formative thing for the Hebrew people. This is when God took them as a nation and showed His strength to the point that the king of the mightiest nation in the world at the time, Egypt, is basically begging these people, leave here get out of here and then there's the red sea and all that and then god meets with his people at mount sinai and he makes a covenant with them and now they are a nation and now they are god's people and so they remember this and as you read through the old testament it's recounted time and time and time again the exodus the exodus the exodus it's like the good old days remembering how things were when god god took our ancestors and he delivered them from Egypt. God set us free. God made us his own. God delivered us. And here I believe what Matthew is doing is he's saying all of those thoughts, all of those feelings, all of those things are true in Jesus Christ. Jesus is my son and he's going to Egypt and coming out so that I could show you a picture because what I did for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, I'm doing for my people of the New Covenant today. Brothers and sisters, I believe that Matthew is showing us here that, that that was a foreshadowing. That Jesus has come to deliver us not from Egypt, but from sin. And from pain, and from suffering, and from tyranny, and from all of these things. Everything that was good in the Exodus is greater in Jesus. I'm going to say that again because I don't think it's going to happen often at Mount Zion, but I always, sometimes I picture that's going to be the moment. Sometimes I think I wanted to say something, y'all are going to say, Amen. Like, extemporaneously. We're going to try it again. Everything that was good in the Exodus is greater in Jesus. And I believe it. And I pray that you believe it. And so we see that, that he's saying, This birth brings freedom. And security and hope and peace and joy. Everything they felt, you can feel in Jesus. 
And, and the same theme continues because there in, in verse 18, he quotes Jeremiah. And he says, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But again, this is not um, in our minds... Matthew helps us to understand, but initially, that's not what we would have classified as a messianic prophecy, right? A prophecy that's looking forward to the Messiah. This is looking back. This is about the exile, right? God's people rebel against him, and so he sends another nation, and that nation comes and overtakes them and makes them prisoners and takes them away, and that's where this is written about. It's as if Rachel who was Jacob, Israel's wife. It's like she's in the grave and she can see her children being deported as captives to a foreign nation. And it's like she's weeping and crying from the grave over what's taking place. And here, it's seen as the same thing that's taking place with the mothers of the children of Israel as Herod declares that these children that are two and under the male children will be dead. And there's this great weeping, there's this great sadness that's taking place for the people of Israel. But here's what you have to recognize about Jeremiah 31. is Jeremiah 31 is not a sad book or a sad chapter of Jeremiah. No, it's a beautiful one. And so... So it's saying that, that at that moment when the children were being taken off as exiles to another country, that there was sadness and weeping, but the promise is they will come back. Things are not good now, but they're going to be good soon. Listen to just a few verses from Jeremiah 31. Beginning in Jeremiah 31, 15, it says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall come back to their own country. See there, it says that things aren't great right now, but I promise, I promise that better times are coming. And so Matthew quotes this at the time that Herod declared, and these children are killed because Jesus was not part of it, because Jesus had been kept from this, because Jesus is in another nation. There's this promise that, yes, there's sadness right now, but better times are coming. And Jesus is the one that's bringing those better times. Brothers and sisters, I want you to think about this. Even those children that were murdered by King Herod, even those children will be raised from the grave, will be resurrected, and will be part of the kingdom. I believe that with all my heart. And so he says, yes, mothers, right now there is sadness, but there's something coming that's so much greater than you could ever imagine. And so Matthew is telling us, brothers and sisters, it's not just check the boxes, Jesus fulfills that prophecy. Check the boxes. No, he's saying Jesus is altogether, diff altogether different than anything you've ever seen. He's better than the exodus. He's better than the return from exile. He's freedom from sin and he's freedom from slavery and he's freedom from tyranny and he is hope and he is the promise of the greatest future that anybody will ever see or know. That is Jesus what Matthew's telling us. And as I read this and as I looked at it, I said, praise the Lord 
that this is true. And it was like a black and white film that was made into color. Point two, the only other point this morning, and it's a long one because I only have two. Jesus is the great hope, the new exodus, the one who writes all wrongs. And he is, brothers and sisters, the first exodus was just a foreshadowing of what is to come. They were removed from Egypt, but we are removed from sin. They were brought out so that God could meet with them and make a covenant with them. And we see the same thing in, in Jeremiah chapter 31. The same chapter, the same chapter where Rachel is weeping and God is saying, Don't weep because better days are coming. Later in that chapter in verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Well, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant that came through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel in the book of Jeremiah. This is where God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a new covenant. And Jesus tells us, and we remember this every time we take the Lord's Supper, that the new covenant has come because of his blood. And so this new covenant, in this new covenant, we don't have to have priests over us. We don't have to have prophets because we have the word of God given to us. And whenever we take it, it's written on our hearts. And because we have each one of us, no, long, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter whether you're Weston who just recently accepted the Lord or whether you're somebody here that's been a Christian for 50 or 60 years, we all have God living within us. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And so we know God. And God knows us. This is the new covenant. But brothers and sisters, how has that been made available? Because we earned it? Because we're good enough? Because God needed us? No, because God left heaven and came to earth. Because he pitied us. Because he had mercy on us. Because he loved us. And so he came and he lived the perfect life that none of us lived. And he still died the terrible death that we all deserved. And then he came back to life. And he showed through the resurrection the power of God that none of us had ever understood before. And now when we have faith in him, we're his children. And we're given God to dwell inside of us. And we're allowed and made so that through the Holy Spirit we can understand God's word. And we can celebrate Christmas in a completely different way than we've ever celebrated it before. So this morning, I believe Matthew is saying this. You remember the Exodus? You remember those good old days? Well, through Jesus, even better days are coming. He says, you remember the exile? You remember how sad we were when they got deported? But you remember how excited we were when we got to go back home? Well, brothers and sisters, the day's coming when we're going home, and we're going to be there forever and ever and ever. I ask you this morning, will you be there?
when we go home to be with the Lord in heaven and to live there for all of eternity, will you be part of that? Only those that have accepted Jesus Christ through faith will be part of that. And if you've never done that before, I want you to know that he has already died on that cross and made that available. If you'd respond to him today, if you have questions about that, I would love to answer those questions. If you're here this morning and you're seeing, as I have this week, the Christmas story in a new light, then this morning maybe you just need to pray. You just want to pray and spend some time thanking the Lord for how good he is. This would be a good time to do that. But I'm also going to invite you to stand. Brother Shane's going to come to lead us in a hymn of response. And maybe your response this morning is just to sing out of joy, just to be excited with your brothers and sisters about who God is and about what he's done for us. But I ask this morning that you would respond to the Lord however he calls you to as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of response.